I think also because I've had this, you know, the loss of my mother and my son and my husband, it's made me, I'm definitely very grateful for everything positive in my life. I've had tragedies, but I'm not tragic, as I've been told on, I was on the Doctor Channel on Sirius Radio once and someone was introducing me because she said my life was tragic kind of clobbered her and I just said, you know, I thank you for having me on your show, but I'm going to respectfully disagree with you. My life is not tragic. I've had tragedies, but uh, it's very different. Hello and welcome to Grief, Gratitude and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. Welcome to today's episode. Today I'm chatting with Christina Flack. She is a founder and CEO of Pretty Girl Makeup. She is a celebrity makeup artist as well as a sepsis awareness advocate, which is one of the topics we'll be talking about today and many others. So welcome, Christina. Hi, how are you? Thanks so much for having me today. How are you? I'm so happy to have you here. And as I was telling you before we started recording, I usually like sit here the morning morning interviews today happens to be evening as I'm interviewing so I actually have a face on and I was telling you I'm like I'm so grateful I actually have something on my face as I'm talking to someone that does this for a living so uh thank oh, you so I much I appreciate for- you look beautiful <laughs> thank you like filters on Instagram and Facebook I'm like man I just wish I could walk around with one of those you I know, know wouldn't that be nice <laughs> And I wouldn't have to hire and I wouldn't have to hire myself. <laughs> no, that's a thing. You know, you'd lose your you'd lose your job if we could walk around like that, right? So let's talk about you. Tell us how it is you ended up becoming a CEO. And we'll be talking about, you know, a little grief journey as well in sure. this process. But let's talk about your business and your motherhood and so forth first. Okay, great. Well, I became the creator and founder of Pretty Girl Makeup. And I started it in 1999. I was a makeup artist and I was a mom and I was driving around with all these kids and it was a constant battle with drinking water and putting on lip gloss and I couldn't find one that lasted. So I thought that wasn't drying my lips out and all matte. So I thought, well, how hard can it be? I'll, you know, get a beauty uh, chemist and I will make my own lip gloss and I'm sure I'll have a billion dollars in the bank in, you know, a month. Well, five years later. But you were just going to snap your fingers and it would be easy peasy. Yeah, it's, you know, uh, I have a client, my friend Tyler Florence always makes jokes. Like if if everyone knew how hard it was to be exceptional, everyone would do it. And it's best not to know because. Ignorance on fire, right? Ignorance on fire, as they say. (laughs) And I think it's important that you love, like I've enjoyed the whole process, like all the years that I've had my company, I loved creating my products. I have loved trying them out on people and I've loved everything about it. And I think it's important when you're starting a business as an entrepreneur that you really enjoy and love what you do because there's so many hours in the day that you're working, 
seven days a week and you're not making money because you're putting money back into the business. And so you really have to enjoy it. And I think that's what's kept me going is my passion for my company, but also that I'm still able to be a makeup artist and do all kinds of amazing product projects. I Yesterday I was in Denver shooting a show with Fox which was super fun. And then I worked on a Vionics commercial the week before. And, you know, I, I, you know, I was with Tyler for six weeks doing food network up, uh, you know, big food truck race that's on food network. I, right love I mean, I've got, I love great. Tyler Florence. It's like, yes. yeah, I remember the throwdown roof is something throwdown was one of his shows. Yes. Too he's, yes. Lovely. he's, he's as nice in person as you see him on TV. He's got the best laugh and great energy and, He's just a great human. So I, he's been my client for 15 years, actually more, 15 years. And so uh, I always love when I get to shoot with him and, and having this time with him shooting the show was a lot of fun. That's so awesome. So you do hair and makeup, male, female, everything. And everything. then you do fashion fashion as well? I everything. do. Yes. yes. No, it's, so fun. It... it's fun having different things. I had a movie director come in from Canada a couple of weeks ago and I did her. I don't know. It's always something different. And then, you know, I still do brides every once in a while. And I I, I love what I do. It really that is. is so that is so important. And what you said before about being able to start something because you saw there was a problem, because you saw there was a need. You needed yes. something. You created yeah. then something because you were yeah. looking for a solution. Um that in itself is something that I feel uh, for myself, even creating this podcast was something I, I felt there was a need to have more of these conversations about grief and gratitude and kind of right. how do people move through life after experiencing something hard and how do they, you know, get through uh, to the other side. So, right. um, so yeah, so that is something we have in common. Now tell me, then with COVID and all that, with your career, with a lot of things being shut down, what happened there with your career, even there in these oh, last was, couple of was, years? It was really hard for over a year. I mean, I even told my, uh, you know, I work for Fox and Food Network a lot and I contacted my producers there and I said, I'll work, like send me wherever. And, you know, I had a couple things, but it was, I never thought in a million years like I thought my job was bulletproof. There's always a wedding. There's always right. a TV. A there were movie. no events, there right? No, no weddings. There was no wedding. There was no nothing. It was so crazy. And I didn't realize how much my job defines who I am as a person. Ooh, ooh. I really didn't know until I couldn't do what I love doing so much and how much I love doing what I do and traveling. I'm on a plane every week, a couple couple of times a week. And, you know, I, I missed it. I missed the human contact and it, you know, I'm so grateful that things are back to normal and I'm traveling more than ever and I'm working more than ever and, you know, getting to do these great projects. I am really grateful, but wow. it was a really hard time. And on top of which, you know, I always figure there's plan A, plan B and God forbid plan C. And so, you know, I have pretty girl and then I, you know, do all my makeup and I, but then both of Plan A, B, C, and D were gone. So it was not, I did some consulting for some other companies. And so you just figure out ways to keep busy. And I got a new business partner and we have put together a business plan and we're getting investors. So we're going to expand. And so, I mean, you can always make lemonade out of lemons, I yes. think. And I, I tried my best, you know, I worked out a lot. I read, I 
spent time with my family. And, you know, I just try to be as normal as possible and go outside and hike and ride my horse and just, live yeah, life. Just be, I just, the the I, thing, I, yeah. COVID didn't exist, actually. I just, you like, know, I don't sit and talk about it all day. It's so boring. <laughs> it's so out of our control. And uh, yeah, just live. Yeah, it's kind of, cool. you know, what you just shared right now, you shared exercise, you shared being out in nature. You shared things in which are ways in which a lot of us end up using as tools to even navigate grief. And right. in some way, like you said, your identity to your job, you know, your job defined you. And then all of a sudden it's like swept from under you right. in the last couple of weeks, um, weeks, years, years <laughs> right. weeks, weeks, I wish, years. Yeah. Um, and you had to find ways to cope with all these feelings. So were some of these tools that you just mentioned tools you've also used in your grief journey before. And if we want, we can, let's. Absolutely. So okay. yeah, yeah, like yeah, I let's... think at the beginning stages of grief, you're in so much shock and you just, I remember I kept saying to everyone, I just want to feel normal. I just want to feel normal mm -hmm. again. And my old normal didn't exist. So I yes. had to create a new normal. It's exactly what I had to do during the pandemic. I had to figure out what my new normal was when I wasn't being a makeup artist and my, no one was buying lip gloss because everyone was wearing a mask. So, you know, I think at the beginning stages of grief, it's like, I always felt like everything was worse if I got too hungry, too tired, I didn't exercise and I didn't think about the things that I'm grateful for and all the great blessings I have in my life. So when I kept all of that kind of in check, everything was softer. If mm -hmm. I got too tired, too hungry, if I got any of those things, I got them out of control, everything just seemed so much worse than it was. So I... I, I know that those are my triggers. And so I really try to make sure that I get enough sleep and that I exercise and that I eat well and I drink a lot of water and I think about things I'm grateful for. And life just seems to move along forward in a more positive, productive way. To fall into place. Yeah. The, the things you mentioned show you're really intuitive because a lot of times we do not know what we need, right? Sometimes we're like hangry and we don't even know that it's because we're you right. know, hungry, you know, and we're just angry and not knowing. So you're right. pretty intuitive. And um, we're going to go now into then your past. So let's go all the way back to your childhood, because I know you've had three major uh, grief experiences that have to do with uh, death. So we're going to go back into your childhood and your journey with your mom. And just tell us more about your age and then what you did then navigating um, your grief journey at that point. So my mother, when I was about eight, was diagnosed with stage four brain cancer and had a 1% chance to live one year. She thankfully lasted, lived 13 years. Oh. So we were very blessed to have her, but she wasn't, her quality of life wasn't fantastic. You know, my mother was unbelievably beautiful and she lost her hair and her skin got discolored from, you know, the, the amount of radiation and chemo that they gave her. They never even, I think it's illegal now, right? But um, so I guess when, as growing up, I just, you know, I seeing my mother sick all the time and I just wished that she could be normal. That was always my big thing, being normal. That was funny that I remember saying that now, but <laughs> I wanted her to be like all the other moms, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why I think I've tried so hard to be a normal mom. My kids, I'm sure think I'm a weirdo, <laughs> <laughs> but I played tennis during my childhood. I played competitively, I played junior tournaments and through high school and college playing tennis and so I turned pro for half a second and uh, 
that was that was always a consistent thing in my life. So I think I'm very I've become very disciplined because of playing tennis so much and my mom being sick and I had to help cook and clean and take care of my sister and help with you know. So you were the oldest one. Yes, you were the oldest oldest, one. Yes, and so I think that's me. I'm still to this day incredibly focused and disciplined, and I I think that helps me to achieve my goals and Mm -hmm. to kind of keep things in perspective. I think also because I've had this, you know, the loss of my mother and my son and my husband, it's made me, I, I'm definitely very grateful for everything positive in my life. I, I've had tragedies, but I'm not tragic as I'm told on, I was on the doctor channel on Sirius radio once and someone was introducing me because she said my life was tragic kind of clobbered her and I just said you know I thank you for having me on your show but I'm going to respectfully disagree with you my life is not tragic I've had tragedies but uh, Mm. very different being tragic means I've given up and I'm wallowing and miserable and I have kids and I can't I want them to be happy and and if I'm a disaster it's going to affect them they've had enough to deal with in their life with their brother passing away on Christmas day and Ken passing away, and now their father has stage four cancer, but he's doing fantastic, thank God. And it would it would affect them too much if I went off the deep end. So I just I I can't do that. It's uh it's not an option for me. It it isn't is not an option for you, and it you didn't feel it was an option for you either as a kid being the oldest one also and having to take care of your mm-hmm. sister and kind of just it was thirteen years also of knowing your mom had this diagnosis so you never really knew what tomorrow was going to no, bring no and right? you know no and then it's funny like now my mom never saw who I've become even though I do believe that our angels watch us so I do know she's watching me and but it took me until my son and my husband passed away till I really believed it because I you know both Ken and my son Bo do things that I know they're contacting me. And it's all the time. There's been, you know, he, Bo has, you know, shown his face and like done different things to let me know he's around and Ken all the time. In fact, today the smoke alarm was beeping for a little bit and then stopped. I mean, normally if it starts beeping, you need to change the battery. Yes. But it's, it's happened twice now in the last, this week. It's very, I'm like, what, what, what are you trying to tell me here? Just tell me. It, so with, do you notice if it's different? Like like with Ken, then is it more like electronics, like things like that? And is it and with Bo, then yes. what is it? Like he was with, more with Bo, Bo, because Bo is a twin of Ben, my son. Mm. Um, he would contact more Ben when he was mm. little. Ben would tell me when he was like four, five, six, oh, Bo came to me in my dream. I mean, things that a child would never say unless it was really happy. Oh, he wanted to go up to the clouds. He wanted to see our rebirth. Everything broke in our house one day, literally oven, dish, like every appliance. And I had that guy come out and I just said, is it just because the house is a certain age that everything broke? And he said, yeah, that's really weird. And my my son was really little time. He goes, no, mommy, Bo, Bo broke everything. He, he doesn't want you to forget about him. And I'm like, Okay, I'm never going to forget about him until I fix all that crap. <laughs> wow. But now, how old was Bo then? What, how he old was four was and a half months on Christmas oh, Day was... when he passed away. He was very oh. young. Yeah. 
So for Ben growing up as a twin, he was a twin, but not actually ha really having I know, but it's vivid memories. Interesting. Yes. Yeah, but it's like, I, I, it's so interesting with it's twins incredible. because they, they have a whole, there's a whole, a whole twin thing. thing. It's a yes. whole other thing. So, you know, it's been a lot for him uh, yeah. losing Ken. That was his daddy. And mm. he's kind of, he was such a daddy boy when Ken was alive. And now he's a lot more uh, doesn't want to talk about him uh, he doesn't want to talk about his twin so mm. it does so it it kind of it, rebirthed a lot of the uh, other it, the it's, grief our, that... it's just a lot for one little human you know yes. to lose your twin even though it was you know he was a, an infant mm -hmm. but knowing that your brother died and then your daddy died when you're 11 that's a lot yeah I've, I've heard that even even for twins that die in utero that it's really hard yes. for the twin that lives so even that bond even in utero and then after when they have it's it's kind of that survival survivor's guilt sometimes yes. and are these other other kind of you know emotions that are attached to that yeah, so it's, it's, it's a it's, whole and it's a whole thing and i mean it's obviously affected all my children and it affected my ex-husband they were he and ken were very close and but my daughter, uh, Melania, had come into my office right after Ken passed away. She came home from London. And that's where she was living at the time. And she said, Mommy, you just have to be grateful for the time you had with, with Daddy. Because mm -hmm. after Bo died, he made you smile and laugh again. And all of us, he helped us heal. And I just thought, wow, God, how grown up are you? To And when I started thinking about it from that perspective, that's when the gratitude started. Like, mm. you know, I'm grateful I had eight years with Ken. He did make me laugh. He made me smile. He he was such a great husband and father and friend. And he was fantastic. And I'm so grateful that I had that time with him. But, and I'm grateful for my kids. But I, I guess that's what it is. You learn to be grateful for what you have instead of what you don't have. And, mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it's just all about that perspective. You kind of just shifted and it doesn't mean you're not sad. It doesn't mean you're not grieving. It's just that you're, you know, alongside this grief and alongside this sorrow, there's still gratitude and there's still joyful moments and there's still right. smiles, like you said. Right, absolutely. I think so, also, you know, you learn to manage, you know, you don't get over it. You learn mm -hmm. to manage it and you kind of put it in a compartment. Like, I'm grateful for that time. I loved him very much, but it doesn't mean I can't love again. It doesn't mean I can't, you know, be happy again and laugh and smile. And, and it, you know, I think you have to learn. I don't believe you can, I think you can grieve in a positive way. I think you can grieve. I started a foundation for Bo and for Ken at the Northern Light School in Oakland, California. So it's, I, I nutrition and education are really important to me. So I, started those educational funds and then a garden at the Edna McGuire School in Mill Valley. There's a bow Friedman outdoor classroom. So I feel that if children from a young age are presented with gardening and cooking and picking fruit and vegetables, that they're going to go into teenagers' time and, and adulthood having better eating habits than kids that are just not exposed to a garden. And I think it's uh, an education. The school in Oakland is amazing. And I uh, ben, all my kids have gone to the school to help participate, raise money for it and uh, help out. And uh, there's a golf tournament every October, Vita Blue puts on, and all these athletes from around the Bay Area participate to raise money for the school. And Ben has 
raised over $100,000 for his twin and his daddy's mm -hmm. foundations. And I am so proud of that. And I just feel like, again, because he has done this from such a young age, I think that's just something that he will continue doing throughout his life. And maybe it won't be with that particular foundation. It might be something else he does, but I think it's in him now to mm -hmm. give back. And I think it's super important uh, when, especially for having someone like Ken in your life, I think it's important to use his name to honor him, but to help others, not just receive tickets to Wimbledon and uh, the U.S. Open. And Right. So you know? let's go there because our audience does not know then who we're talking about. So, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's totally fine because I'm the one that j started asking no, in okay. a totally different order. So let's uh, let's talk about then you met Ken then. Uh, uh, let's say how many, how old were you, was your youngest then at that point? Oh, uh, he was little. He was little. not even two. So, uh, Ben was two and then your old, and Melania was how old? Your oldest was? Oh my God. She was, let's see. So she's third, she was 15. 15. And so the, you have four living children, five children yes. with yes. Bo, yes. um, ranging in these ages. And so you, you met, uh, Ken, Ken Flack. And so he's, a, he was a professional uh, tennis player. Yes. So did you get to play tennis? Since you said you grew up playing tennis as a kid. <laughs> Tell yes, us. We did. We did <laughs> play tennis. But actually, he said one of my better qualities was that I hated tennis as much as he did because he played so much growing up. But no, we hit sometimes, but not that often. But, uh, it must be intimidating. Just it was, like it's intimidating. Wasn't it intimidating. wasn't intimidating. It was actually like, oh my gosh, to hit with someone that's that incredible, even after he retired, was like a drink was super fun but he was obsessed with golf and that's what my boys and my daughter rose is a, was a golfer in college and so all they want to do is golf so he we i ended up playing a lot more golf and you know we played some tournaments at our club and stuff so that was fun and you know, yeah, golf was his passion. That's all he So golf, tennis was his work and golf was his passion. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So take us then because the reason you are with the foundation of Sepsis, am I saying it? Sepsis Alliance. Sepsis uh -huh. Alliance Foundation. Yes. Uh, bringing up awareness with this is because of how Ken died. So um, share with us, this was in 2018. Mm -hmm. And if you would mind sharing a little bit then about that. and. And so, again, it's an education for myself course. and for the listener. So thank you. So Ken and I were completely unaware what sepsis was at the time he got sick, but he got a cold and it turned into bronchitis and uh, he had contacted his doctor at uh, Kaiser Permanente and uh, they had a vice nurse and they didn't see him in this whole craziness of not seeing him and not diagnosing it correctly and then giving him the wrong medicine and it was this whole awful thing that within 12 hours of calling the doctor, he was on life support. And because he had taken no antibiotic, even though we repeatedly said he had green and yellow coming out of everything, he, uh, it turned, because if you take cough medicine with codeine and you have an infection brewing in your body, it slows down your breathing and makes the infection grow at an insane rate. So within those 12 hours, I'm like, how is he so much worse with an inhaler and the, you know, the cough medicine? He was, so I rushed him to the hospital the next day. He was spitting up blood and he was on life support. And that was on a Thursday. And by Monday, he 
his arms and legs were turning black, all his organs were shutting down, and we had to take him off life support. And it was it was terrible for his children and my children and myself, obviously. And um, the Sepsis Alliance contacted me and asked if I'd be willing to raise awareness and speak about sepsis because most I had no idea what it was and I had no idea that a quarter of a million people a year die of it. And so I said, yeah, I, I would be willing to do that. And then it just kind of started that I was speaking on podcasts and TV and, and then the ATP tennis association uh, did a Ken Slack golf tournament at, in Indian Wells. So I have given out the trophy to the winner of that because it was so great that they, the tennis community has been so gracious uh, with his passing. In fact, Wimbledon was just last weekend and they were the men's final. They were talking about Ken and Rob, his partners. That was really lovely. But I, I'm so grateful that I'm able to honor Ken by raising awareness and, and educating people about the signs of sepsis. Uh, if your listeners go to sepsis.org, they're in scroll down. There's a little... A diagram that says time and what time is is T is for temperature you can be incredibly hot or incredibly cold I is for infection in some place in your body whether it be an infected tooth or a cut or you know, bronchitis during pneumonia uh, M is for mental decline it's just they're kind of fuzzy and they're just not all there and then E is for excruciating pain you feel like you're dying because you are dying your organs are shutting down and the pain is just awful and I think that because of, you know, those signs, the, the thing is with sepsis, it's totally curable, but you have, it's not one of those things like, you know, how you get, you know, you have to know your body. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. If you know, you know how you feel when you have a cold or a flu, you know what that feels like. Well, this is something that you don't know. So you really have to be aware and know your body to go, you know what, this isn't right. Or listen to your spouse or your loved mm -hmm. one that's telling you like, no, we're going to the doctor. Um, yeah. Because, and if they're saying you're kind of, you're, you're sounding, you're yeah. like the mental decline, then do, do they sound like, would they sound kind of incoherent? Yeah. Yeah. They're just like kind yeah. of a little off. And so mm -hmm. I think it's been so amazing. So the past four and a half years that I've been doing this, how many people I, one of my new best friends, she's like my sister. She, a year after Ken passed, she heard me on a, an interview like this. And she sent me a DM to me on Facebook and I normally never respond to those, but I don't know why I did that day, but thank God I did. And she's like, I think my husband has sepsis and I'm like, get him to the hospital. And she, we saved him. And then it was so weird. So she and I became friendly and two years later, like a few days before Ken's passing, he had gone to have surgery at Stanford and got sepsis again and he died. And, and she called, I was like the first person she called and I, I'm like, this cannot be happening again to her. And so she and I, we have this like sister bond. And so mm -hmm. I, but I've, you know, I, I had a lawsuit against Kaiser and I won and it was just felt so important to me for them to acknowledge what they did. Mm -hmm. And it's so wrong here in California. If someone dies, there's like the most you can get is $250,000, right? And anything, the only way, because it's, it took four and it took over four years for my lawsuit to happen. To finish. To finish. Yeah. And so I was blessed. I have this amazing lawyer, Scott Righthand in San Francisco. He's a total rock star. 
he took on my case and and he worked his ass off and was amazing and and we won but if the only way to a lawyer will do that is if there's economic loss that's the only way that you can you know get and it's not about the money it's mm -hmm. about i mean to just hear from a judge acknowledging that because of the advice nurse not doing her job and the doctor not doing his job ken died mm -hmm. and to mm -hmm. hear that my god was so intense it was mm. you know it was really like i was so happy to hear that but then i was really angry just to think that god that he died needlessly it mm. just it sickened me and no one should die like that Right. right. Yeah. And, and, the, and, and these and these and it's so unfair. So after this, you know, I after I won my case, I did an interview on Fox because I want there to be change in these in like the Kaiser system. I want every person should be seen and there needs to be change. You know, everyone should be seen. And I wanted people to know what the signs of sepsis are. And so I cannot tell you how many phone calls, texts, emails like I have gotten hundreds, hundreds of people contacting me, wanting to know who my lawyer was, how did I do it? And I, it's, it got to the point that I have to like, be really honest with people saying like, I'm sorry that your 80 year old grandmother died at Kaiser and she had sepsis. It's hard. No one should die this way. And it's awful. But if there's not economic loss, no, you can't sue. And it's mm. so not fair. There's a stupid law in California that protects these, you know, people like, you know, these companies like Kaiser Permanente, that it's kind of conflict of interest, if you think about it, because they're insurers, but they're also the doctors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. and then you also, I, you know, unbeknownst to me, when you sign up with Kaiser, we were only with them from January until March when Ken died, two and a half months, and he died. And oh, you had only been with that insurance those few months? Yes, right? because oh. we're both self-employed. And so, oh. You know, it's so unfair that, you know, mm -hmm. you don't know what you're signing. You just sign up for the insurance. But what, mm -hmm. with Kaiser, you're uh, also signing that you agree if there is a lawsuit to arbitration, like not mm -hmm. to have a, a jury. If I'd have been in front of a jury, it would have been a whole, it would have even been more. But, oh, it, it, yeah. you know, it's because they would have heard all of this and it would have been mm -hmm. more public and it would have been more damaging to them. It's just, it's just so much. Okay, so let i i want to backtrack here because you only really had then four days from the moment he went into the hospital mm -hmm. to his passing was it about four days was that about how long it was yes about that okay mm -hmm. so with that then he passes what did you do to navigate then your grief at that moment because you're also then adding to that list of aside from your grief everything with the lawsuit so right. how do you do that when you're navigating these two different huge emotions you're oh a, a huge anger because you somebody is at fault kind of aspect and then your grief itself for the loss right well i think at first i was just like in such shock um that it happened but then i think i i, I just was trying to find my way i was just trying to be the best mom I could be, run my business, try and like, I kept thinking, I, my agent called and I, I, she said, what can I do? And I said, just book me a, a shoot. And she's like, 
husband just died. I'm like, I don't, I know that. Like, I don't care, yeah. but that's where I feel normal. Again, the normal coming out. Yeah. Uh, I feel my <laughs> best when I'm on a photo shoot. And then she booked me a job with Third Love. It's like a lingerie brand. And I, uh, and yes, she, I've, been, yeah. I've been meaning actually to check that. <laughs> I've really been good. actually, I get those ads on Instagram offer. I'm like, oh, is that, I wonder if it's good. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're actually, they're great. Okay. And I remember, like, I kept thinking, oh, as soon as I get to that shoot, I'll, I'll, I'll feel okay. But yeah. I got there and I wasn't okay. I was a mess. Um, so what did you do? Like, what did I just, you do? How, I just, Cause here you are, you can't, you're in front. You're like, this is not like you can hide your emotions. No. I was actually even going to say, cause as a makeup artist, I'm assuming, and as a hairstylist, I'm sure it's similar to when you go to get your hair done, that your hairstylist becomes your therapist almost. I'm sure people share their life with oh, you. Oh, they tell me everything. You, oh everything, God, right? No idea. The no, I, no, I could totally oh. imagine two hours of you doing all their Yeah, and, and you're there. with them all day long. It's like, right. like going to camp, right? So, right? so how do how did you do then? I just, of, here's you with your, you have your things now here and with someone else. I think God had worked with that photographer before. And I think he knew what happened. And he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I just was really quiet, not mm. like myself. And I, I, I know I broke down crying, but I did my job. I, you know, and then I remember I went to go work with Mark and Graham and that's another, like a William Sonoma company that I work with all the time. Mm. And I was not, I was just very, I mean, I'm always professional. I will always do my job. I'm not going to sit there and be sobbing, but I was mm -hmm. just not my normal bubbly, happy self. I was just pretty quiet, did my job and went back and to my area when I, so I remember they always played like really fun music. And this one song came on, it was called Chills. And I just remember walking back out on set in front of everyone. I go, I like this song. And they're like, <laughs> she spoke. Oh, she's happy. Oh, they, kept, they played that song a hundred times that day. And, and it was so funny. They were so nice to me. And I, but you know, that's the thing. It was so interesting to me how kind strangers were to me mm. like people that i barely knew that were hardly friends would show up at my door with food or just come and help me organize my office or I, it was really remarkable i remember for like a i don't even know how many months this one woman would show up every monday with food and it just like the kindness of strangers was so beautiful like it mm. was really really fantastic i mean obviously my thing was a little bit different than most because Ken was famous and a public person. And so that made my grief a little more public than, so that made it even a little harder. I remember I was in Las Vegas, like, so he died in March and I was in Las Vegas, like during Wimbledon. So that's like July. And I was doing a consulting job. And I remember walking through this casino on my way to my, you know, the hotel. And it was like, the most bizarre thing happening. Okay, there's all these TVs with sports on and Wimbledon was on and they were, it was the first year that Ken had passed and they were honoring him and they kept talking about him. And like every TV, there was his face. And I'm like, oh my God, I cannot even believe this is happening. This is so weird. This is so fucking weird that my husband's died. I'm walking, I'm consulting for a company. I, and his face is all over. So then you're, it's like, what do you do then? Like, because it is, like you said, you, he is a public, a 
public figure. You're with public figures all the time as well. So it's like you cannot hide. It's right in front of you all the time. So right. you have to be able to face it, like they say, every single time. So with Ken passing, how did then your grief of your mom and then your son, Bo, did that end up coming up to the surface again then? I think it did. I think Well, I think I was a little more prepared for when Ken passed that I was... I knew that I couldn't go off the deep end like I did with Bo. I mean, you know, your son dying on Christmas Day, you know, in your arms is just so traumatic, like, in itself. And I started taking, like, sleeping pills during the day just to, like, numb myself. So I did that for, like, a month. And then my friends are like, okay, you're not a drug addict, so enough. And so I, I just knew, like, with Ken, I really, I went the exact opposite. I worked out twice a day. I'd go to yoga. I'd go to Pilates. I'd ride my horse. I'd go for a while. I would do something because it would, I was so anxious. Um, I, you know, again, made sure I ate, even though I couldn't really eat. I would, I, my girlfriend, Trudy was so sweet. She's Irish and she would make this Irish bread. That's literally all I ate. And, um, all these things that I just tried to keep on track and just not go, I couldn't go crazy. I couldn't like drink. I, I mean, I, I just, well, I couldn't allow myself to do that because my kids, I'm like, they're going to like lose their shit if I, you know, if I'm off my rocker. So I just became extra disciplined. And I think that's really what saved me. And I thank God had my company and my work that brought me joy. And I prayed and I was grateful and, you know, it just, it was a hard time. It was really a hard time. So you were saying like, you just couldn't fall apart at that moment because you also had to be able to help the kids right. navigating their grief. So when your son, Bo, passed away, the same thing. You could, yes, you could wallow for a few, you know, like you said, like a month. Then your friends were like, no, you got to kind of. You got to get together. You're not get, a get back into Like you don't even know what right. you're doing. <laughs> but right, and I right. remember, I think also like, we live in a small town um, in Mill Valley and everyone knows our family because we have a million kids and they all play sports. And so, you know, unfortunately, and you know, that was great. People were very kind and everything, but I just felt like everywhere I went, everyone was looking at me like, Oh, that lady's going to be died on Christmas. Like, like it's a lifetime movie that'll never air. It's so crazy. No one would believe that this happened. And so I just remember like anytime I go to the supermarket I'd wear a baseball hat and glasses and I'd just keep my head down. I, I I think the hardest thing for me dealing with grief is I don't like people looking at me with pity. I hate it. Like even when my mom was sick, like when I was growing up, they're like, oh my God, my mom's sick. Like I think that's one of the things that I really don't like is just people feeling sorry for me. I don't like that. Mm. I don't like that. So um, I just made no eye contact for a really long and you know time does soften things and you heal but you know it's it's i i you know it made me happy to you know and then here's the other thing i've had to so my ex-husband grieve he is super private and he doesn't grieve the way i do i started these educational funds i started the garden i speak i do this like he would never and I mm -hmm. used to resent him that he wasn't more supportive of my foundations and my garden. And 
all that I, he thinks it's great that I do this, but I don't say his name publicly. I don't, but I did judge him for a really long time about, I think until, I, I think that's kind of helped my relationship with him, not my relationship, but more like how I have forgiven him. Cause I blamed, mm-hmm. was angry at him for how he grieved. Cause it wasn't like I do. And I've learned that everyone does grieve differently. And I went to a grief camp at Canyon Ranch and I read this fabulous, well, the author of this fabulous book that I'm going to tell you guys about is um, <laughs> Rabbi Sherry Hirsch. She's from Los Angeles and she wrote the book, We Plan and God Laughs. And it's a great book for anyone to read, whether you're grieving or not. It, it teaches you to that life is always going to have bumps and you have to learn to ride the waves and people die. Of course, I've had a little bit more than most people at a young age uh, that I'm widowed and lost a baby and my mom, but everyone's going to die. Everyone's husband, wife, people are going to die, unfortunately, but that's just how it is. But I also feel that I believe that when we die, you go up to heaven and you're back with your people. So to me, I don't, fear death the way I did before. I am like, well, when I, when it's my time, I'll go up there and I'll be with my mom and my, you know, son and Ken and everyone else, all my, you have a welcome my cousins. Committee. I've got you all kinds. Of, I've got so many angels up there. So yeah, you I, have a welcome committee yes. about to greet you. Yeah. Yes. It changes. Yeah. Because it, it, there's actually a longing when my, uh, when my mom passed away, when my sister passed away 26 years ago and sorry, 25 years ago. And my mom passed away five years ago. So when my mom passed away, my dad, there was an aspect of like, Oh, she's going to be with Zorana. You know, that, uh, like what you're saying now, it's yeah. like, there's actually a, a somewhat of a, even like a longing, not that you want to lead this life either, but there's that no. other aspect like, Oh, I don't fear it anymore. No, you don't. Now, I also like, I think probably like my worst, like for me, losing another child would just, mm-hmm. It would, mm-hmm. that's probably, you know, I think I can, ex- like, I can deal with pretty much anything, but to lose one of my kids now, but see, then again, there's the other kids that are remaining. God forbid something happened to one of them, you know, or all mm-hmm, of them. Mm-hmm, it's like, so mm-hmm. you, it's, it's tough no, sometimes. You, no, it is still hard. It doesn't mean that because you've already been through one grief experience that you're, that you'd be able to, you know, kind of hop on the next one with ease. No, no each you one is still, no, no it is It's kind of like when I, t- when I took my kids to college, um, I've taken three kids to college now and each one, it's been awful. I've cried my guts out leaving my kids at college. I took two to New York, one to NYU, one to Parsons, and then went to LA to Occidental. And I tell you, I dropped them off and I like begged them not to go. And I cried and I, it's hard for me to, I, you know, I probably have a little, uh, I don't like saying goodbye to people. I tell everyone I love them so much. And I think, uh, yeah, it's, so there's some things I, I've had post-traumatic shock, but I've also had post-traumatic growth. And um, I think I, you know, I, I know what, what I've grown on and you know, what's made me be stronger and better. I mean, I didn't know how strong I was. uh, And I, but I also know that there's some things that I do have triggers. I have abandonment issues, obviously. 
Uh, well, you know, you've been experiencing it since your, you know, your your mom died when you were, you know, like, yeah. that's one. Then you know, then yeah. It's like, and then you thought, spouse. I thought, you know, after after Bo passed, I thought, oh, I'm golden. Like there is nothing, no, like, nothing more could bad can happen to me. And uh, so when Ken died, I I was just like, how is this actually happening? It's so, it's so much, but then, like you said, you realize how strong you are. Like, you don't know how resilient you are until you go through these things. Right. And then your kids, then also you realize how resilient they've been right. in all these journeys as well. You're seeing their growth and we never know who we would have been had we not gone through something. You know, I just hard. read an interesting book and it was about a girl that like married her high school sweetheart. They moved to LA and then like the day before their first year anniversary, the husband, they were supposed to go somewhere, but he was a photographer and he went to go do this photo shoot up in Alaska and then he disappeared and died. He died. And then she was a disaster. And then she went back to her hometown and like three and a half years later, she met the other boy she had dated in high school and felt like she was getting engaged to get married. And then the husband comes back. He didn't die. He was stranded on some island and, you know, all that. Wait, was, this is how much? How much no, 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 yeah, no. This one's, talk about Hallmark or Lifetime only. movies. Only, it this was one, such like, a good book. And it was by the lady. Okay, so I saw this book called The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo in an airport. I kept seeing, because I travel so much, I see it in airports. And I'm like, I read that book and I loved it. It was fantastic. And it's the title is... Don't, don't judge the title. It's a great okay. book. So that author, I, I do this typically. If I find an author I like, I'll you read every go, book. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I just stay with, because I'm in that flow. I, I like how they write. Yes. So I started reading this book. But what was so interesting about it was how in the three and a half years, that how much she had changed. Mm-hmm. And that when the husband came back, he was like, you know, let's just, you know, she was like in love with this other man. But it wasn't even so much that. It was... She wasn't the same person that she was when she was married to him. She had cut her hair. She, all these different changes and her husband, they didn't, they didn't make it. And it was because she's like, I don't want to live in LA anymore. I want to live in this small town. And he goes, well, I don't like even your haircut anymore. Like, who are you? Like, where's my, I want the girl that I left. And she's like, I'm not that girl anymore. So that was so interesting. Cause I, you know, I, I'm in a relationship now with someone and I, I think how different I am now with him, like how much I have changed since I, you know, I've known him, it'll be three years in October that I've known him and how different I am even from when I first met him, how different I am. But it's Mm -hmm. been like, we've been able to like, change together mm-hmm. so it's so interesting you know how how you do change you know and it's such it's kind of beautiful to think that you can change and grow and have happiness and joy in your life yeah and, and it's hopeful that it's it gives hope. it gives yes. hope it gives hope it gives hope and that's the thing if we can hold on to that and sometimes in that in those moments in which we really feel there's no way there's no way i'm gonna get out of this one like knowing that there have been other times in which we thought we were not going to get through that, yet we somehow did, right? Right. Like, 
And that's why I have this podcast really is for people that are going through hard times to listen to these stories of people that have gone through hard parts of their life and then how they've been able to navigate through. So I also think, of course, and I also think that, you know, people typically that were in happy marriages tend to, their normal is to be in a relationship. So you, you hear oftentimes of someone's spouse dying and, and getting married in a few months or in a year. And I don't judge anyone on finding a new love yeah. or, mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean that you don't, you didn't love that person. That person isn't here anymore. And it does. And I, I truly believe that life is better when you have someone to share it with and uh, laugh with and cry with. I, I just, I do. And I, I think I remember when I had my first child and I, you know, Melania and I loved her so much. And I just thought, Oh my God, I was so scared. Like when I was having my second one, like, am I going to love this baby as much as I love that first I, one? Right. I've I think every, so right? every like, mom feels exactly what you just said. Right? Exactly. And, yes. and then it's so fabulous because it's like you grow one heart for each kid. Like I don't yes. love, one of my kids more than the other. I love, sometimes I like them more than the other. <laughs> Agreed. However, the love I have for each of my kids, like I have a separate heart for them. And mm-hmm. I kind of think it's the same. Like, you know, I had big love for Ken, but I have huge love for my new person. And mm-hmm. and he's very private, so I don't ever say his name, that's, but you know. That's fine. The ones, he, if he hears his podcast, he knows he'll, he'll, He knows it's him. him. <laughs> he knows I have big love for him. But I... You know, it just, it, I, I have my own heart that is all for him. And Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's the best way that I can explain it. You know, people will say like, oh, but you love that person. Well, yes, I did, but it doesn't mean I can't love this person with all of my heart, you know? Right. And it doesn't mean that you still don't grieve the passing of can either because it's like again it's that's another heart that the like if you're mentioning like that other heart is still wounded even though this new heart has this big love right there's this other heart that's wounded so and i try and i think i think i probably try to like not sit and focus on my Mm -hmm. past like i don't want i don't want to sit and be sad all the time so i really just try to live with my life now and the joy and the happiness that I have in my life. And I think that's, again, that's how I'm dealing with my life and my love and my grief because I, I'm allergic to being unhappy. (laughs) It feels weird to me to be in a bad mood or angry. I, you know, I, so. The, the part that, uh, that you mentioned, even just with this, uh, it's that aspect of having grace with ourselves, even in that journey too, right? As you're navigating, having grace in those moments in which we're not doing as great, but having again, that gratitude and that hope for what's coming. Uh, and you've definitely been able to show that with your with your story. So thank you, Christina. Christina, any last words that you wanna share with the guests of anything that I did not- <laughs> What did we or any? Yeah. yeah. Anything that we did not talk about or any tips or any other aspect. I think judgment. I think judgment. I think, I think that it would be really great if people didn't judge others. It's so easy for people to, uh, after someone dies, they have, for people that 
like let's say for for example for me i remember after ken passed and they're like judging me that i you know and i didn't meet my person until uh oh my gosh 2019 so over a year like a year and a half after ken died but people judged me and i just thought like how dare you Mm -hmm. you don't know what my life is and how lucky and grateful am I that I met someone that made me happy. And, and it's so mm-hmm. funny because I feel like Ken picked him because they have so many weird similarities. They both, Ken's spirit animal was uh, an eagle. And my person has one on the same I shoulder know. that <laughs> Ken had uh, the St. Louis Cardinals tattoo. And he played baseball professionally, my new person. And he has four kids in the same order and the same years as Ken's kids. Like it's wow. bizarre. They both have this. Oh, this is the other weird thing. There was uh, my, this is my favorite one. I have known no other humans alive, but these two people that squirt toothpaste in their mouth to brush their teeth. What? Yeah. I don't know any other humans except the two of them. It's so weird, right? That is weird. I've never known. Yeah. So, so yeah, I so feel like, I feel like, you know, maybe I think Ken picked him. So, yes. They're very similar. <laughs> or, or you have an affinity for people. That <laughs> squirt. You're, you're a magnet for uh, t- uh, toothpaste squirters in their mouth. Now, you, you said something about that aspect of judgment. You mentioned earlier that one of the things that was hard for you was even just how your, uh, how Bo's uh, father was grieving, how you, you know, how you each grieve differently and how you, uh, went and took on to do the foundation and how he didn't and how you were kind of resenting him with just how he was grieving and there was judgment even there and then here you are feeling that judgment yourself then afterwards as you're navigating the the death that's true ken you know you're feeling that in just a different way it's so interesting you brought that up i've never (laughs) thought of it from that perspective um you know i hadn't thought of that like I'm here judging him, and then I'm offended that everyone's judging me. Judge, right. But, you know, it, it sometimes, I don't know if you... Thank you for bringing this. that to me. I'm no, glad no, you no. told me that, because I'm like, wow. Well, thank God I fixed that. I mean, but I've acknowledged that... That you have. Like, I had yeah. softened that, right. right? Right, But it's that part that we don't end up realizing sometimes the things that we have to work on sometimes until it kind of faces us again, right? It's right. like, oh, wait a minute. I've already navigated through that part of of judging because I've already kind of, and then all of a sudden it's kind of being thrown back at my face now with this of being judged on how I'm navigating my grief now. And even just a part of like, whether it had been that you'd found a relationship or not, people could be judging you like, Oh, why is she going back to work already again? Why is she doing this? Why is she doing so crazy that yes, people judge me. Um, They also judge me. Like people have gone up to my person and said things about me that are not true. Um, and I'm like, wow, you can't be, people are jealous and that really shocks me because I'm always happy for other people. And it really shocked me that there's been multiple times people have gone up to him and said things ill of me of like, you know, I'm a gold digger. I only, you know, date certain kind of people and none of it's true. And it's just like, it just shocks me, you know, thank God my so person, hurtful. you know, you know, it's, it's, da- and it's, da- it does, you know, there's been mm-hmm. some uncomfortable moments that I've had to, you know, have conversations that are not comfortable. And like, you know, why would people do that? 
but they do. Mm-hmm. And then I just thought that just makes me like, God, I always go so out of my way to be, you know, kind and gracious to people. But, the, and, and they real like, and if they can't see that my life's been hard with my mom, my child, mm-hmm. my husband dying and that I've found happiness with someone and they can't mm-hmm. be happy for us. Like, wow, how mm-hmm. awful is that person? How miserable is that person that it's going to bring them joy to go to my person and say something right. ill of me to, to damage us? Like, it's just, it's unbelievable. Because it's usually a reflection of ourselves when we're right? doing that, not a reflection on the other person, right? It's the things that we're either lacking in ourselves or still need to work on. Right. That, that's why we're doing that with others. So it's really sad. It's really sad that that's what happened. So, um, if we're learning something as we're listening to this is as we're navigating grief, making sure that, or, or we're watching others navigating grief, not judging how they lead their lives and how they continue their lives, even in the happiness. And I've noticed that with widows and widowers, it's probably some of the, it's probably the hardest in terms of judgment of the keeping on. It's, it's, yeah, there's a lot of judgment. Like people think, I don't know what people think. People think you should be miserable forever. People think, I don't know what, but I just, I think that would be the biggest thing that I would say to other people is just, you know, think of it a minute, put yourself into that person's shoes. You don't mm-hmm. know what they're going through. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of times too, what I've realized and being a, a, a daughter of someone that remarried, you know, after my mom passed, what, what it brought up for us as kids was our own grief. It had nothing to do with us not being happy for my dad but it was our own grief so who knows if like some of the people that are your closest like if it's i don't know in your in your scenario if it's people that you're close to that sometimes end up judging where you are in your life Mm -hmm. yeah it's because a lot of times it's probably bringing up that of missing yeah so it's a combination of things and so um it's 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 so complex and again it's just a a reminder we are we are human beings with a lot of growing to do. And, and in those moments in which people are going through life and going through grief, judgment should be left in the back burner, like oh, really far sure. away. And you know, I also think if someone has something to say about someone, say it to their face. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need to, I like that's just, if someone has the nerve to go up to someone else to say something hurtful, I just feel like, I would, I would prefer if someone had something to say, they would say it to me. And, and then if they felt the need to share it with, you know, I don't know. I just, it's so bizarre. And I think what it is, is that's where, when your life is public and I really do try to protect my person because he's super hyper private. Like Mm -hmm. he doesn't like Mm -hmm. this part of my life that's so public, but he knows (laughs) what I do for a living as a you know, the makeup company and, and what I do, it's like, I, this is part of my job. And but so right. I really try to be respectful of his feelings. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I just, I have to, because it's just, it's not fair to him that my life's public and it's not his choice. So I have to be respectful of that. But I just think that it, it would be really great if people could be happy for other, it's, I wish people could just be happy with their own life and they wouldn't give a crap about my life. <laughs> My life's not that like, fascinating. All I do is work. You know, I but, work and I, you know, with my family, my kids and my person. It's like, it's not, uh, I'm not going out to a bunch of society parties and uh, 
Oh, no, no, I'm advice. not. I, I, I know Why everyone you would, think... Think, would love to think that I am, but I'm believing. Right. I, I'm home reading my book. I'm, I'm but why do you think that reality shows are such a big thing? It's like we are so consumed into wanting to be in other people's business instead of focusing on our own lives well, and, and what it is that we have to grow. You're right? Right. So it's like, you're right. So it's like people are like, no, I want to know what she's doing. I want to know where she's going, who she's right. with, instead of working. Right. And I also think, you know, they think, you know, I look a certain way that I'm a certain way. And it's so funny because I work in reality TV, okay? Like I just wrapped a yes. show, Tyler, you know, Tyler's show. Yes. You have no idea how scripted these shows are. They're mm -hmm. as scripted as, as any TV, any uh, reality show is. There's still a storyline. Yeah. Storyline, it is very scripted. Obviously the dialogue isn't, but I'm telling you it really is. Um, and it's yeah, so, I, I just think, I, I'm sure people's perception of me and my life is so much more fascinating than it really is. <laughs> <laughs> well, they can make it be whatever they want to be as long as it doesn't come, come in and interject and intervene in yours and yeah. you know, whatever, but yeah, yeah, stop it. So judgment, uh, put it away and respect people's grief journeys these Absolutely. are the takeaways finding things that you love to do and focusing your energy on that in your case with your business and so tell us how can people find you and if they want to learn more about your business as well as uh the sepsis awareness you mentioned the website and yes. i'll put it in the show notes yes you can go uh, to and any other go to yeah any other ways yeah and my website is christinaflack.com if you want to see portfolio and then of course uh pretty girl makeup uh, my partner jordan and i are offering a 25 percent discount code uh with discount code pretty girl all one word i'm prettygirlmakeup.com and we're on instagram and facebook and twitter and yeah i just i what? wish everyone love and happiness and joy you know i feel like you know, you. dream big and love big that's Thank you. And dream big that you don't even know you're dreaming and that that you oh, can't even, that. like what you because what you just even what you said before when you created your makeup line, you just oh like, oh, I'm just going to do it. And that you didn't even know that it was going to be hard and you just you just didn't even know it was going to be hard. And here you are a very successful CEO of a business. So oh, thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you so much again for taking oh, the time my to share your pleasure. story. And uh, lots of lots of nuggets here, and uh, lots of interruptions too with the dogs. Which yeah, we'll try to all, edit, but it's part all. of life. Again, part of life. It's like you know, the we plan and God laughs. So there, oh, you, there go. you go. There you go. That's a great book. It's a really good book. I I I, I wrote it. I wrote it down. Yeah. Thank you once again, Christina. Of course. Thank you. Have a great evening. Thank you. Too. Bye. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.